District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Welcome to the program, Brianna Howard. She is a colleague of mine at Independent Women's Forum, handling our social media presence. And she also happens to have a background in energy with her family being fully fledged in the industry in Pennsylvania. And she also happens to be a mayor when she's not doing her duties with us at IWF. Brianna, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Gabby. Why don't you introduce yourself to my listeners, please? Yes, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk with you today and talk with you more about what you and I both are very passionate about, which is energy. Um, like you said, I am the mayor here in Mount Jewett, Pennsylvania, where um, we're a small town, but we are a, a rich town in terms of our heritage and our culture. And we are an energy-focused um, um, town with lots of logging. We have natural gas. So um, we have lots of uh, cultural sort of endeavor, endeavors and business endeavors in our small little town here in northwestern Pennsylvania. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And you talked to me about wanting to speak more about these issues because this does concern your family and so many families in northwestern Pennsylvania, a region I've actually had the privilege of attending myself and seeing fracking for the first time. I worked with Cameron Energy, shadowed them with the Stewart family and staffers like Tyler Martin got to know them, uh, had a really interesting experience. We saw bears. We saw we went fishing. We got to see fracking in real time. And I think a lot of people who comment about energy or conservation really don't see the work that goes into powering the country. They don't understand that these folks have to, much like your family, have to be considerate of regulations. They want reasonable regulations. They don't want to be overregulated, but they, they will follow the regulations if they're reasonable. They have so much that they have to think in terms of their operation. They don't want things to go awry. They want to leave the environment better off than they found it. Why do you think, before we talk about your family-specific business, people have such a disconnect between what the energy industry does and the perception of the industry? Yeah, I think you bring up so many good points, Gabby, of just the disconnect between when people turn the lights on, what that actually means, and then the work that's being done to actually extract and produce energy that's needed to power this country. And so I think, you know, when when you think about the people in cities and and how they use energy and versus here, you know, in rural America, where we're actually producing the energy and extracting it from the ground and, and making the energy. Um, we are people who we, we love the, we love the environment. We are outdoorsmen. We hunt, we fish. Like you said, um, you're not going to find a more beautiful place on earth than right here where I live in McKean County, Pennsylvania, the heart of the Allegheny national forest. I mean, these are people who have, you know, been born and grew up outdoors. They love being outside. They love their work. They're passionate about what they do. Um, and they're the stewards of the environment in a way that I think people don't realize because of what they've been told by a media narrative that paints this energy industry as something that is so bad. When in fact, I mean, every single person, whether or not you you like it or not, is consuming energy one way or another. If you drive in a car, if you ride in a battery powered car, unfortunately, you are consuming energy whether or not you think you are. Um, I'm sorry, your Tesla is the battery came from somewhere, right? So um, I just think the disconnect between what people understand about energy extraction and energy production and the the matter of fact of every single thing you do comes from somewhere and is a byproduct of something else. And that is a fossil fuel. 
Fossil fuels are very much still a key part of our electric grid. Uh, 80% of what we produce and consume is still coal, oil, and natural gas. It's really hard to transition away from that, no matter how much uh, prop proponents of, let's say, net zero policies are, you know, letting educating people or, or saying to people that this has to be done. Um, it's really hard to disassociate ourselves with it. And also the secondary and tertiary, you know, products that are produced from petroleum and and coal oil and natural gas we're very dependent on this and if you're calling my my view is if you call for phasing out you know from the energy side it's going to have to trickle down to the byproducts as well is that something the industry always communicates or stresses to like it's not just one element of the chain of production it's also going to be the other kind of succeeding chains as well yeah it's so funny i feel like that call for, like the call for ending you know, extraction of oil. I, I saw a video today of a couple of protesters in a museum somewhere in Europe, right? Probably Paris or some other city where, you know, they have no problem with all their, all their food and their trucking and their garbage being hauled away by massive trucks that need, <laughs> that rely on, you know, diesel fuel. But, um, you know, the, the t-shirts that they had on were probably somewhere down the supply chain were a byproduct of crude oil. The glasses that the one man had on were somewhere down the line, a byproduct of crude oil. So it's like, if you, you know, the, the woman had makeup on you, all of the components that go into making all these little products in our lives, like the chapstick that we use, I just don't think people realize every single products. It's not just about the gas that you put in your car or the gas that you use to like physically, you know, heat your home in the winter. It's, it's so much more than that. All of the products that we use in our everyday lives from cooking to cleaning to making ourselves look more beautiful with makeup, like they are all extracted from crude oil in some way, shape or form somewhere along the, the, uh, the production process. So I think, yeah, I think that the, honestly, the energy industry, and, and I honestly think this is why I'm so passionate about this. And I know that you are too, right? It's like, we have to do a better job of communicating to the pop to the public why these issues matter. And it's not just so easy as saying like when you hear, you know, leaders like AOC or whoever calling for, oh, we're just gonna ban oil and gas. Like that is such a silly thing to say when you live in a an environment in a world that is so reliant on these fossil fuels. Like it's just it just there's such a disconnect between what you're saying and what is an actual reality for normal every single day people. I did see the stop, just stop oil protests you were alluding to. They've done it in D.C. They, I remember they uh, basically put like the National Art Gallery in a standstill by defacing some art there. And I think it was London, England you were alluding to. And yeah, it's funny, like their T-shirt was made from petroleum byproducts, the hair dye, makeup, all of that. And those uh, portraits that they're defacing, they're ruining it. Oh, it's already been used. What's the point of ruining, uh, ruining history in pursuit of of changing the future? Like, I mean, I understand trying to make a, a splash about something, right? I'm all about using your voice, but at the end of the day, like, you're not doing anything except making yourself look silly. If you want to come to the table and have a serious conversation about alternative energy sources, that is the best way forward for us. And I think like there are organizations that are doing that, and that's critical here. And I think even just having conversations with people who you disagree with about these issues. Like that's how you move forward. It's not about defacing art. It's not about protesting and disturbing people's lives. I mean, I've been in Europe and I've seen these protests too, of people just carrying like blank signs that say stop oil now or end oil now. I'm like, what does that even really mean to you? Like, do you even know what that means? And for me, it's funny, right? Because I'm thinking, oh, well, <laughs> you know, back home, my brothers are actually out on the rig right now, like, you know, working and making the energy for the, you know, our town in Pennsylvania and, you know, ultimately the whole country, which ultimately is the whole world, right? Like these things all have an effect on, an, on another effect. But 
Um, it just always is very ironic to me when I see those signs because I'm like, if you really knew what that meant and how deeply layered like a call that you're making is, I think you would um, probably change your sign a little bit. <laughs> right. And how are they going to be able to navigate and travel without it? Like they can't fly. Uh, they don't have wings. Yeah, <laughs> Everything right. is going to take some sort of yeah. form of, you know, oil and gas to to transport and even like to bicycle, like you have to obviously like shine the chains, you know, using petroleum products to yeah, make I sure it's, it's lubricated and easy to use. <laughs> it's funny when you think about the, like the most global, like the, this young generation of people is like, they call themselves like global citizens of the world. Yet they're the ones who are like very anti, you know, anti-fossil fuel. But I'm like, Oh, how are you going to, you know, exert your globalism, if you will, um, when you, you hate oil and gas so much, what are you going to, you're just going to bike, you're going to bike across the ocean. Like that's not going to work out very well for you. So it's impossible yeah. to do that. I mean, even by navigating by boat, you're still going to be using fuel. You can't power your boat by electricity. I don't know any boating manufacturer that does that or advocates for that currently. Um, I don't think it's current. It's discussed quite yet. There may be some talks of electrifying boats, but it's still going to be powered by petroleum products as well. And uh, yeah. speaking of your region and your hometown area, you wrote an op-ed about Edwin Drake, who was one of the key, I would say, individuals who helped with the oil discoverer, perhaps the preeminent oil discoverer figure in the region. Um, that's where, and, and you could talk more about this, but your region is where oil was technically discovered. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. So about an hour, an hour and a half or so, um, some change from where I'm at um, is where oil was discovered. Yep. And I, I think I wrote this op-ed because I was very inspired by National Energy Appreciation Day, which um, Independent Women's Forum um, sort of sponsored and spearheaded amongst some other organizations and um, some coalition partners. But I was very inspired. And, you know, as I mentioned, my brothers, my family, I'm a fifth generation, um, part of a fifth generation energy producing family. And I'm very passionate about these issues because I see, you know, my brothers who work very hard. My dad works hard. I mean, he, I don't I don't think my dad will ever retire. Right. He loves his work. They're, they come home dirty, right? They, they are out working all day. They leave at five in the morning. They're home at seven o'clock. They're home at nine o'clock at night. Like they are long days and they just, they work really hard. And I think that, you know, Edwin Drake had a similar mentality of just working so hard for a mission that he wanted to accomplish. And I think he embodies that spirit of, of what it really meant to, to strike the, what they call black gold, right? It's, it's something that changed the world forever. And so I was inspired by him to write that op-ed and, um, you know, inspired by my family and all these men and women who really, you know, they are kind of the unsung heroes of, of the energy industry. You don't hear about them a lot. They're not anything, anything that you would ever see on TV other than maybe on like Dirty Jobs and Mike Rowe, which Mike Rowe has done a, gr- a good job, I think, of um, bringing human side to this all of showing how much the energy in- industry and especially the oil and gas business can really change people's lives. I mean, these are young, young guys and young gals who are just out of high school who have a chance to have a career and something and provide for families in a way that like even me with a college degree, a master's degree, I mean, I'll, I'll never have the opportunity even to make that kind of financial gain in my life that some of these guys have. Like, I think it's, it's super, super telling of how Mike Rowe has pulled back this like curtain on, I guess that's usually a, a negative conversation, but has, has shown a spotlight on like how awesome that industry has been for these guys in Oklahoma that he's talked with. But anyways, yeah, Edwin Drake, cool guy, cool story in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Um, if you ever have the chance, Gabby, I'm going to make you come there and visit and we're going to have a, um, an awesome time there and you're going to see it. We'll so it's a very plan. cool experience. Yeah. Very yeah, historically I, rich place. 
when I was in the area, I don't think we had time to go to Titusville. I forget how close that was to Warren County where we were with the, with Cameron energy. I don't recall how far it was at least an hour and a half. Yeah. It's about an hour. Yeah. It's, it's a little take. bit, but you know, when you live up here in the middle of nowhere, not everything, every drive is nothing to you. Right. We, we drive like an hour to go to out to eat for dinner. So it's no big deal to us. <laughs> no, it's, it's an endearing place. I think more Americans have to kind of get out of the cities and the suburbs and visit places like your hometown area and see how much they undervalue the contributions of people who have to work hard, you know, get up at very early hours, work long hours, deal with very expensive, dangerous machinery to ensure that the lights stay on, your cars are powered and everything else, you know, in that kind of process too, or, or any type of mechanized form of work too, not just, you know, energy production, but to see where the, let's say pudding is made. I know there's another expression for that, but to see where kind of like, you know, the, where the process is made, how it's done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much that I think these rural communities have to offer to the, to lawmakers, especially, right. You think about every, every state, um, it's urban centers, typically the capital, right. And the people that are in that capital are making decisions on behalf of those in the rest of the state. And they don't even realize how their decisions have consequences for those in the rest of the state. Right. I think New York city is the perfect example of this. Um, I live very close to New York state and you know, the, the actions of those in, um, the capital have a direct impact on those who live around the state. And I think it's just a reflection of how out of touch lawmakers can become with people in their states. And I think here in Pennsylvania, we've seen firsthand, my family's business has been directly affected by bureaucrats who are unelected, um, who make a lot of decisions about the oil and gas industry that they don't know a lot about, right? Because they think they know best, but they don't. And it's actually putting people's lives and livelihoods and communities, you know, ability to succeed on the line. So I think there's a lot to be said about what you're saying there, Gabby. Yeah, I know. State capitals, uh, definitely Albany is hostile to fracking. I've seen this with what the governor has put out and also the gas stove bans. I'm, you know, better than me in Pennsylvania because we have seen, you know, I, I don't know t- how much to read into Josh Shapiro, Governor Shapiro's work yet because he only was just elected. I know he probably did run on abolishing fracking. Maybe he's reconsidered. Um, but you also are feeling probably the toll of what Department of Interior decisions are doing and also um, the, I would say, kind of decisions of probably the, no, you don't have Bureau of Landman, maybe Forest Service, I would say more so would affect your, your, your state in particular, because more West is going to be impacted by BLM decisions. But uh, your oil fields are more so impacted by policies concerning the USDA, because they handle all forestry decisions. I don't know if there have been crackdowns yet. I know there's like an orphaned well policy. I have to familiarize myself a little more with that. But they have talked about um, doing something, I guess, contra to what the Trump administration was doing and penalizing producers more if they don't comply, I believe, with uh, fulfilling their orphaned well kind of wishes. Um, but so far, what has kind of been the impact of a new governor and then also Biden policies on producers like your family? Yeah, I think it's interesting you talk about orphan well because the orphan well program is something kind of like Democrats are all lining up behind, which, and to be honest, I don't know a ton about it either because it's something like, it's a little bit more niche, right? You kind of have to like 
it's something you seek out as producers, right? People who would do that work. I mean, my family's business is definitely seeking some of that work out. But I think it's a, it's kind of a telling thing, right? Like Democrats use this, and I would say like left-leaning lawmakers use this idea of like Orphan Wells as, oh, they're so scary. Like they're so bad for the environment. It's terrifying. But like they've been around for hundreds of years and people haven't even really paid attention to them. But I think it's just an easy way for like lawmakers to look at a, a sort of a small-ish problem, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like a tiny problem, but I mean... These orphan wells, if you really wanted to to take care of all these orphan wells, like, there's just no, I mean, it would take so much money, so much manpower. There's just no way you could even handle the issue with the amount of money that they're putting aside for it because it's, it's just not, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you're throwing money in an issue that doesn't necessarily produce something or change that much. But um, I will say, I think just a general sentiment about how the Biden administration has um, handled energy issues. I mean, you see his actions that are blatantly um, oil and gas from day one. He's he's been he's been very honest about how his administration feels about oil and gas. I mean, I think they've flip flopped a few times because of like world crises and um, things happening in Russia and Ukraine, and obviously now with Israel. Like, I think there's a lot at stake for the Biden administration when it comes to these issues, especially you know with global oil prices and um, reserves and all that. But I just, I just think that the sentiment from the White House to the American people about how the everyday worker feels and how they, they take these things away, right? Like, like when your leader basically makes a mockery and makes he, they diminish your work every single day, and that's the talking points that you hear from the press secretary and from these cabinet leaders um, and, and lawmakers in general, like how, how does that feel as a worker, right? Like if, if I was working in this industry, right. I mean, I'm, my family does, and I feel that on their behalf, but how would you feel? I mean, you feel terrible when you hear, when you know that your work is critical, right. You know that the energy that you produce, and this is the same across the board. I mean, anyone who is an essential worker, I mean, I, I think we use that word very loosely now in like a right. post-COVID world, but truly people who produce things, People who take care of your garbage, people who take care, people who produce your energy, any anything that you deem essential in this world that ensures you're able to live a normal lifestyle. Every day you wake up, you turn the lights on, you go to work, you come home, give your family food, go to bed, like turn the TV on. Those are very normal things. Anything that helps aid in those normal everyday activities, like those are the people that we have to thank for our ability to just live very normal, peaceful lives, right? First and when you have a white house, it's like. Yeah, exactly. First of all, that's like, and when you have an, a White House that's attacking those men and women and not valuing their contributions to society, how do you think that those people are going to feel in those industries? And that's what's, that's what, why I care so much about this, because I see how the actions of the White House and the actions of the, right out of Biden's mouth, right? Very anti-oil and gas, which I understand, right? He's speaking to his very left-leaning audience. Um, but it's just, it's just out of touch because those people all have iPhones. They all have, you know, they all participate in certain activities that require energy. They drive in very gas-guzzling cars and planes. Yeah, exactly. They love to fly. They go see Taylor Swift. They go to concerts, right? Their their mother, they call Taylor Swift's mother, is the number one air polluter in the world. So we're, there there's, has to be a line in the sand on these left-leaning people's hypocrisy. Yeah, amazingly, Taylor Swift hasn't really been alarmist in environmental policies so much. Like, she talks about other issues, because she knows, like, she needs to travel, so maybe she yeah. has limitations yeah. about her activism. But I haven't well, seen anything from her. Well, she knows it would be her. so hypocritical of her. I mean, like, that would be right. like sheer hypocrisy if she said something about it. It's like Leonardo DiCaprio, like being so crazy about these issues. It's like, buddy, you know that you run in the circles of people who are completely wasteful, <laughs> like, <laughs> and use so much energy. I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us here in little rural Pennsylvania are using like 
a fraction of the energy that you and your Hollywood buddies are using. So just maybe take a back seat here. Yeah, it's really funny how disconnected they are from these decisions. And I remember when Biden was campaigning for office, the first thing he promised was, I will phase out or stop future oil oil projects, oil and gas projects. He said, yes, it's going to end. And we have seen the consequences of that. We've documented this at our Independent Women's Forum Center for Energy and Conservation. I remember, uh, I think it was maybe last year when I was still a senior fellow, that uh, we observed a 5% decrease in allotments of leases that would be active. So they're purposely putting restrictions, and they've also had fewer oil and gas leases offered. I think the lowest on record, more so out west and in the Gulf of Mexico, um, outer continental shell as well. So they've had like maybe... five to three to five leases uh, offered. So it's like historically low. Um, They're increasing the royalty rates to bid on leases and to have these different outposts to extract oil and gas as well. So they're, they're purposely creating policies that makes it harder uh, for people, let's say who, who work on public lands and even on private lands, like your family, putting different restrictions on and a caps on what you guys can and cannot do. Um, It's being felt all across the board, uh, small, medium, large producers, all across, you know, the the country. And until people see the consequences of these net zero pushes, we are seeing actually, um, let's say offshore wind is suffering tremendously because there hasn't proven to be a market demand outside of Inflation Reduction Act subsidies, giving a boost to solar, wind, electric vehicles. Um, When they're operating on their own, there's no interest and it's very expensive and a lot of revelations are coming out for that. And we're, with these more stable commodities like oil and gas and coal, even though people have really written off coal, it's still a very integral part of the grid, even globally, too. I think coal is still the number one, if I'm not mistaken. I remember seeing it like 32% of the globe consumes oil or coal, excuse me. Um, yeah. So it's it's still important here in the country globally. And, and those are really stable commodities um, compared to a lot of these so-called renewables. Although nuclear, I think we could bet big on nuclear um, not so much as a replacement right now, but it could be a good supplement until it can come off the grid and and come to fruition and 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 come online rather. Um, but they're not giving nuclear a chance, which is a shame. That's the true like hundred percent reliable baseload, twenty four seven baseload. Really doesn't use so much of land. Um, but there there's so much to talk about this, and and there's no stopping with this. But Brianna, if people want to learn more about your op ed, uh, your family's business, where would you like to direct them to, please? I would love for them to check out um, iwf.org slash CEC, which is our Center for um, Environment and Conservation, which is your center, Gabby, of course. I think there's so many endless resources there. Your writing is always so enlightening. I learn something every time I read some some of your writing. Um, and my op-ed is there as well. Um, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, bhoward1776 on Twitter, if anyone wants to follow me. Um I feel like I talk about energy stuff there um, when I remember to. As a social media manager for IWF, I feel like I forget to post on my own Twitter sometimes, which I'm guilty of. But um, I, I definitely think that our CEC resources are the the perfect place for all of these conversations. And also just very enlightening on topics that, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about, right? Like the ESG conversation, like these things. Like I'm, I'm really thankful for you, Gabby, that you – are leading the way on these topics because if we're not talking about them as like as policy people as just consumers of information as 
as women, like these affect us as women in particular, right? Like we are, I mean, I'm a single woman. I have my own home. Like I pay the bills here, right? No one else pays the bills. I have to worry about the gas prices at my house. So I think like those, they, they impact us very directly in our own lives. So people should be paying attention. And I think that I'm really glad that you're leading the way on these conversations. Yes. And originally I was working with Mandy, who we were sad to see leave, but uh, we worked very closely together and I'm continuing her work and even drawing attention to some of these kind of other ignored issues concerning wildlife, because everything impacts, you know, your ability to recreate and to enjoy life uh, because of all these energy sources to get you to a national park, to have you fly to, you know, a resort in the outskirts of someplace out West or somewhere in Florida, you know, you go close to the beach, all of these decisions, they're interrelated energy consumption, energy use. It does play very well into conservation. It plays well into wildlife plays into all these different issues. And we're going to try to highlight that more. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. You're phenomenal. You're very knowledgeable about your region, the energy industry there, and a great spokesman for your family and the families in Northwestern Pennsylvania, Brianna. And anytime you want to come back on, you're more than welcome to update my listeners about what's happening because we will see, I think, some decisions handed down federally, at least, that would adversely affect your family and and that region. But even more positively, there was... I think I saw that Pennsylvania uh, won't be in the regional greenhouse gas initiative for much longer. Virginia pulled out of that, and I believe your state did too, even with Democrat support as well, because that's yeah. a very flawed carbon market. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much, Gabby. I'm excited. We'll have to come back on and talk about getting into the weeds on some of these things. You teach me so much every time. So I, I will have to get into the weeds next time. <laughs> and your work is very appreciated. I appreciate you amplifying my stuff with the CEC. And as Brianna said, listen and follow our musings at CEC. Uh, follow Brianna on social media. Get to know IWF even beyond our center. If you're curious, we're really hoping to reach more women. There are a lot of women who fish, hunt, work in energy, work in all these different areas. And we're hoping to broaden our reach and, you know, have our impact be felt with you all and, and work with with women who are concerned about these spaces and, and want to preserve kind of the sanctity of energy and conservation. So, Brianna, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Gabby. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.